Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest is Diana Garrett, who's the CEO of Highcroft Mining, um, who are a precious metals development company that owns the Minecroft Mine, which is the second largest gold mine in the United States um, and is prolific mining region, um, sorry, in the Prilocket region, which is in Nevada. Um, Diana has a background in mineral economics, and uh, an engineering uh, with 20 years of senior executive management um, in the, the mining industry um, and has an exceptional track record for developing projects and building companies. And he's here today to tell us a little bit more about Highcroft Mining, the history around the company and what the future holds for the company. So uh, we've obviously got more questions than that. So I want to welcome Diana to the podcast. How are you doing, Diana? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Good to see you, Rob. Yeah, and I appreciate your time at your busy day to uh, have a chat to us. Um, and so how we always obviously start these podcasts is I wondered if you can just tell us a little bit about your your background, your career, um, how that's progressed to where you are today. Certainly. I began my career um, on the buy side. So I was a, a mining analyst and then a portfolio manager for U.S. global investors, so working with Frank Holmes, so a very large investment company, and then went to the corporate side uh, and worked with a couple of companies that put projects into operations in North America and South America. Um, I ran the uh, Remarco uh, company as CEO, and we took a project that had been left abandoned in South Carolina and turned it into one of the largest discoveries and highest grade open pit mines in our industry. So it was phenomenal growing that company from 20 million market cap to over a billion in just a couple of years. And uh, and then and here I am at Highcroft today. So uh, as you mentioned, I've got a background in mineral economics and engineering as well. And uh, But I hire people a lot smarter than me to build and operate these mines. Yeah, so I wonder if you just tell us a little bit about Highcroft Mining, um, a little, I suppose a little bit about the history, um, just an overview, a snapshot of the company. Absolutely. Highcroft has a very long, successful history of open pit heat leach operations dating back to the 1980s. It has been owned by several different companies and has produced off and on since that time. Highcroft is now at the point where we're transitioning from the near-surface oxide heap leach material into the larger scale um, sulfide milling operation. And that is the work that we're currently doing uh, with Highcroft, and we're taking it to that next level. And uh, But it does have a good history. It's uh, over 20 million ounces gold equivalent, which makes it one of the largest deposits in the world and certainly one of the largest in North America. But what's equally important is it's not just a gold deposit. It's a very, very large, substantial silver deposit. I believe it's the largest silver resource in North America. And, you know, silver is very important right now in the EV market and uh, with green technology. Um, so, you know, we're real excited about, you know, making sure the market's aware that we have this uh, amazing silver component that really drives on the industrial demand side as well. 
Yeah, obviously such a, a large, large mine, um, large output. How how do you sort of manage such a large operation? And I'd imagine there's obviously a lot, a lot of many, uh, many people uh, in the actual operation. Right now, because we're transitioning to the larger scale operation, we're not actively mining today. We are still producing gold and silver off the leach pads from the prior operation. The current uh, plan that we have is to is to complete the technical study so we know exactly uh, the, what the flow sheet is going to look like to process the sulfides. We have about 80 people on site, but you hit on a very good point. I mean, how do you manage not only a land position that is larger than Manhattan, but and, and recognizing that only 10% of that land package has ever been explored or drill tested, so we don't know what else is out there. And also, how do you, you know, manage, you know, something of this scale and size in terms of, of development? Well, we have taken a, a look at Highcroft and we have found um, we have about 80 people at site right now. We have a full operational lab. We're still pouring and producing gold and silver off the leach pads, as I mentioned. And we're conducting all of the technical studies that are to take it to the next phase of operations so we can construct the mill component and then get it up and running into larger operations. But at the same time, we're conducting a 125,000 foot drill program over the next uh, 12 months. And we've just launched that a few uh, weeks ago. And we're real excited about that. And I do want to talk about some of the potential and why we're doing a drill program when we already have over 20 million ounces on the project. Yeah, well, ca carry on then. Okay, on. let's tell us more about it. Sure. So, one of the interesting things about Highcroft is when you see these large, lower grade deposits near surface, what we've seen since the mid 90s is that a lot of these systems, particularly in the Western US, tend to be fed from a higher grade, higher concentration of gold and silver, if you will, core deep underneath the ore body. And we saw that with the discovery that Franco Nevada had with the Midas deposit in uh, 1996. And sure enough, uh, companies started drilling deeper in their systems and finding the, the higher grade, the, you know, the, the mother load, the holy grail kind of goodies that you want to see. And in our work at Highcroft, we've noted that in the past by prior companies, they have just continued to step out uh, and, and make the existing near surface pits larger without really stepping back and saying, it is highly unusual to have deposits that are exceed 10 million ounces in the world. Those are truly designated as world-class. Something is feeding that. Something is causing something of that magnitude to be here. So let's step back and take a look at what could possibly be generating that type of a resource. And what we've learned through some of the work that we've done is there are some very interesting high-grade intercepts. We have a past-producing high-grade mine that sits within our land position. It's, it's dormant today, uh, but we know high-grade exists. So we're taking a bit of a different approach, and we're drilling to find better grade, which means that the economics of the project, the return to our shareholders, uh, will be even greater than what we anticipate it to be today. And that would completely change the view of Highcroft from a large, low-grade system to something of really good, high quality and caliber. And that's been our focus right now. And we're very excited about some of that potential. And how does your experience and track record at the Howell Gold Mine inform 
uh, your approach to Highcroft? Great question. At Remarco, we picked up the Hale Gold Mine, and it had been drilled by prior companies for years that never had never discovered anything. We brought on a team, and we we took an approach of um, a lot of companies come into projects, and they they just keep doing what was done before. And we come in and we look at projects from, you know, let's review the history, let's review the data, let's not lock ourselves into a certain way to develop the project. And and this is what we did at the Hale Gold Mine. We looked back at why were all the majors exploring for gold and silver in the eastern area of the United States and then walked away from the area? Why did they walk away? And we learned that they walked away for a couple of reasons. One is that the area's got a lot of pine trees and coastal plain sands, so you can't see the alteration of the rock. So from a geologist's perspective, it's very frustrating. And so you have to drill to know if you've got any mineralization. The second thing was it was all private land and trying to get enough land transactions done was very, very difficult. But the third thing is there was sulfide ore. And at the time that, that the South Carolina deposit was explored, the technology had not advanced enough to be able to fine grind the sulfides to liberate the gold and silver. We came in and not only did we know that those three things we could deal with ourselves, and we did very successfully, but also that we reinterpreted the geology and we looked at that system in a different way. And from the first drill hole through the next many years, uh, I think that deposit ended up pushing close to 10 million ounces and they're still finding more. It's the highest grade open pit mine uh, in the US. It um, was a huge success in, in our industry. And the companies before us drilled and, and came up with nothing. So we we really study and do a lot of homework up front. We think that it's money well spent because it mitigates risk to our shareholders and helps put us on a better path for developing the ore body. We took that same entrepreneurial approach with the Highcroft mine. We brought a lot of the same people over. And what we learned through all of our a review of the historic information and talking to geologists who've worked the project in the past, they were never given the opportunity to go out and really explore beyond the known resource to really look at the deep potential feeder systems to this project. There were geophysics completed that show that there are potentially three separate feeder systems to the Highcroft deposit. And yet no drill holes ever targeted those areas to drill. So when we look at that, when we look at some of our drilling the year prior, when we understand how the high grade occurs, the intersection of these structures, and we drilled some of that last year and had very significant hits, some of the best grades that have ever been hit at Highcroft, it now provides a roadmap for us to do additional drilling and really try to focus on that high-grade core. So it's really just coming in with a fresh pair of eyes and not accepting the way it's been looked at in the past, because you have to remember that technology does change. Our thinking changes tools and techniques that help us vector in on higher grade, like geophysics. All of that changes you know, as time passes. And it's been a lot of years since anybody did that type of work at Highcroft. So we're real excited about it. Yeah, no, and it sounds, sounds exciting there. Uh... Exciting project moving forward. Um, Highcroft received obviously a flood of attention when the um, CEO, Aaron, Adam Aaron, 
um, and well-known precious metals investor, obviously Eric Sprott, invested in the company uh, earlier this year. How did that actually come about, and how has that impacted? Um, how has that impact been for Highcroft situation and outlook? Well, it's been absolutely fantastic. We um, became a meme stock in early March. And that was something I wasn't even very familiar with because I don't do social media. So that was something very new to me. We apparently got caught up with some other gold stocks and some nickel stocks. uh, And so we became this meme stock. Adam Aaron, I did not know him, but we have a mutual business colleague. And the colleague called me and said, I need to introduce you to Adam because he became a meme stock also. And instead of um, just you know, ignoring that, he embraced that whole new audience and they have been very loyal to him and have stayed with them. And he said, I I really need him to to walk you through what he did and and how he did it. I think it would be a great person for you to know. So Adam and I started speaking and getting to know each other. and, And he saw our situation very much like AMC's. The fundamental business is intact. There is nothing, even though our stock had come under significant pressure Uh, because we had shut down the prior operation and we're transitioning to the larger one. We had a lot of debt on our balance sheet and the market was declining. And so we were in a liquidity crunch, just like AMC and other theaters were at the time of the pandemic and a lot of other businesses as well. But our fundamental business had not changed. The resource had not gone away. It was still there. The team was still there. We just had this liquidity crunch. So he felt that he could really help us unlock that value. He, he believed in, in gold and silver as, as precious metals. They had announced to the market many months before that they were going to diversify into other businesses. And then he said on one of our calls, he said, um, you know, we've been we've been always called the gold mine stock. Um, and wouldn't it be crazy if we actually owned a gold mine? You know, I'm really interested. So our conversation ultimately led to that financing and it's just been a great relationship. Not only, you know, have his shareholders become our shareholders, um, they're very supportive of what we're doing. They do have a board appointee uh, because of their share ownership to our board. But it's been f- interesting in the industry because it really took the mining industry by storm. Everybody was talking about, you know, what a clever thing to do to not only bring in an investor outside of our core industry. But along with that investment dollars became this entirely new shareholder base. And that is what we pride ourselves on at Highcroft, our team. And it's what we did at Remarco. We take a different approach. We don't always have to do things the same way they've been done before. And so that was a really phenomenal opportunity. Eric Sprott has been an investor behind uh, me and companies I've run for a very long time. And we brought him inside along AMC. But now we are all over social media. Uh, I've got a YouTube uh, platform and Twitter accounts, and we're on Reddit, and we dialogue, you know, with that audience. And it's really important because that's really the way that, you know, our industry and many others are, are, you know, gravitating to. We're not just the old brick and mortars, you know, calling on the same people. There's a whole audience today 
as you well know, that get their information through a video or a podcast, but they're not going to go to your website and read a long press release or go look up your regulatory filings necessarily. But they, but this is a new way of communicating. And it's just been a phenomenal outcome. And, and you know, we couldn't even have imagined that, you know, we were going to have the success that we did. And just by AMC and Eric's broad investing, it allowed us to then raise, you know, an additional $140 million through an at-the-market offering uh, because our trading volumes were so high. So we're just really appreciative and thankful for our new shareholder base. They've just been phenomenal. And uh, we're going to deliver some good results for them. Yeah. And obviously talking about the, the new shareholder base and all these new followers and investors, um, who may be new to the, the mining world, uh, what are some of the most important things you want them to know about the, uh, the industry and how it works? Um, and how, how have you been trying to get the message across? So mostly uh, getting the message across through videos, some educational, informational videos. What is gold used for? Why is it important? Uh, the same with silver um, what are the top reasons of Highcroft? What sets Highcroft apart, you know, as an investment and an asset versus versus other companies? One of the the main things, and I and I find this with people who are not familiar with their industry, is they feel like the only time you can really create value is if you actually are a, are a producer. That if you're actually producing gold and silver. And while yes, we still have some small gold production of gold and silver at site. We are not in full operations today. But what I would like to remind people, and I and I try to do, is there's a lot of value that gets created uh, in the exploration discovery phase. At Remarco for the Hale Mine, we went from 20 million market cap to 1.3 billion years before we were ever in production. When you have a new discovery, when we say, for example, at Highcroft, if we're able to identify these feeder systems, really tap into some, some significant grade that, that changes the thinking, that type of upward momentum and trajectory in your valuation is huge. Um, when you go through technical studies, your stock tends to kind of lag because it's kind of boring. It's technical studies, not a lot of news flow. And then when you get into production, you get your second uh, leg up in your stock performance. It takes time. You know, we're not like AMC, which can have a new movie coming out every two weeks. Um, it takes time to drill. It takes time to get the results. It takes time to check those results and make sure they're all accurate before we can then send them out to the market. So we ask, you know, and try to uh, inform people that no news is not necessarily bad news. It just our industry takes a little longer than maybe some and other industries that, um, you know, have more frequent news flow. So. That's yeah, it. it certainly does. And obviously, people outside the mining industry don't really understand how the actual mining industry works. Obviously, a lot of, a lot of people on this uh, who listen to this podcast are from the mining industry, so they, they get it. But I can understand your, um, I suppose, the information that you're putting out there because probably there is a lot of, lot of people that are, are new to the mining industry. Um, and they probably is trying to get their head around the length of time it takes to put a mine into production um, and the actual whole life cycle because it does take a lot, a lot of time. Um, so, yes, yeah, understand. 
And we're seeing it even more and more today because of supply chain issues and inflation and inability to get labor and manufacturing of equipment. So the time, the lead times to get some equipment in can be, you know, 12 months to two years, right? As you well know. And I've seen it in prior uh, companies, you know, sometimes you were waiting three years to get haul trucks and other things. It's just, it's so, you know, it does take time. It takes time to complete the studies. And every ore body is different. And that's another message to try to communicate is that every ore body is different. And you don't just pull a mill off a shelf and plug it in. Every every operation is designed specific to your ore body. And so a lot of work and a lot of money goes into it up front, but it's well worth the payoff for the shareholders in the end. Certainly. Uh, I wonder if you just tell us a little bit about the management team and the people involved in Highcroft. Love to, because I believe, and I always tell, uh, I start every presentation with people, and it's one of the most important things I learned being with U.S. global investors as a precious metals fund manager, is the only asset that you really invest in, particularly in an exploration development stage company, is the people. Because we used to have a saying at U.S. Global that good management will make more money with a bad mind than bad management with a good mind. And it really comes down to the talent. And the number one question I ask people when I hire them is, you know, people always say, oh, I've got 20 years experience. It's like, yes. Have you had 20 years experience or have you had the same experience for 20 years? Because they're two entirely different things. And I want, you know, mining is a challenging, difficult industry. People who are very good at it make it look easy. But you deal with, you know, it's you're moving, you know, sometimes 20, 30,000 tons a day and processing, you know, we'll probably process close to 60,000 tons a day. That's a massive operation. And so you want people who have been through, seen it all, done it all, anticipate what might happen and make sure we mitigate those issues or the risk up front. And so the team we brought on is um, a lot that have come from Remarco. So our chief financial officer is Stan Rideout, who was with me at Remarco and formerly Phelps Dodge, which is one of the world's largest mining companies. Um, we have uh, Alex Davidson, who is our vice president of exploration. Alex has worked for Newmont, which is one of the largest mining companies in the industry, and recently the NGM, which was the joint venture with Newmont and Barrick, and we pulled him away from that. He says that Highcroft is a geologist's dream, that the opportunity to work on something of this size and scale and the untapped potential of this mine is, is what really gravitated him to, to us. We have a full process team on site. We've got a full laboratory that we can do assays on site. But remember that everything that we press release will be done by a third-party independent lab. Our general manager, David Thomas, was at uh, the Hale Mine, and we brought him over to be general manager at Highcroft, and we have a head of technical studies. So we've got you know, a very solid team of technical uh, experience, uh, metallurgists, mining engineers, geologists. We've got more than just Alex uh, under the team, uh, the team underneath him in geology. So we have the ability to, um, to do all of the work ourselves. We also employ a number of uh, independent engineering firms and consultants, the best in the business. And we do that because it's our duty to the shareholders to make sure that we don't have any startup risk and that we have done everything we possibly can before. 
So it really does come down to the people at the end of the day. And people who've been successful together tend to stay together. And uh, we've got a great culture in the company. And we're all mindful of one thing, and that's to deliver exceptional value to our shareholders. Yeah, and obviously I'm in the business of uh, recruitment myself in the mining industry, but generally recruiting expatriate staff around the world. So I understand the importance of getting the right people for for each organisation. And it is not just down to obviously skills and experience, but also um, the personality of the person as well and how they were fitting with the team and obviously their success, past, past success, um and obviously each company is different each position is different so it's it's really important to get that right you're you're exactly right and one of the things i do when i meet with the teams and i spend a lot of time at site is helping everybody understand how interconnected we all are right i mean we we don't have silos it takes every single one of us to do our jobs and we're all we're all linked and and the company can't be successful if we're not all pulling together as a team and the culture of the organization is the most important thing, as you correctly point out. It's got to be the personalities. It's got to be the right click. And, and everybody has to be focused on the vision and the leadership, which is, you know, what is our main goal? And our main goal is, you know, to, to deliver good value for our shareholders, to do the job right, to do it safely, to do it with integrity, honesty, and, and respect. And anything that comes in the way of that has to be overcome quickly. And so it's, um, we, we work very closely as a team. It's a great organization. Good to hear. And you recently launched a, a new exploration program, um, the largest obviously at site in nearly a decade. Um, why do you obviously decide to do it? I know you've covered some of this, but um, I just wonder if you can just run us through, through that. Sure. So Highcroft is a very, very large system as we touched on. But it also is on the lower uh, spectrum of grade. As you have a lower grade deposit, it costs, you know, you need higher gold prices to offset the low grade for your economics. And what we've noticed at Highcroft is, is through some of our drilling last year, there really wasn't even targeted for exploration. It was really targeted to do the metallurgical work and work on recoveries for the ultimate milling up. Portion, but we found some really interesting high grades in there, which we announced in February of this year. And that, plus some of the other work we do, we have done, has made us realize that you know what, this is a twenty-plus year mine life. Uh, but it would, what you're always trying to do is generate as much cash flow up front for the shareholders to pay back the cost of the build as quickly as possible, right? And what we have noted in some of these higher grade areas is, is there a higher grade deposit we could possibly start with? We know that Vortex is one of our highest grade deposits and it's predominantly silver. And when that was discovered by our predecessor company, they put quite a few holes into it. They hit spectacular results. We put a lot of them on our website. And then they said, we're not going to spend any more money doing that. We're going to put the, the project into operations and we'll come back and drill that later. And then they never had an opportunity to drill it later. So that's their bad luck and our good fortune. And so we really want to drill that out. And we want to see, you know, is there a, a way to make the Highcroft mine look even better? If we can start out with a smaller, higher grade mine, then that means less capital up front. And that means a better cash flow return for our shareholders. And... Also, if we have higher grade, it may 
dramatically change the way we approach the project from a mining and development standpoint. Maybe we don't need to produce 40, 50, 60,000 tons a day to get those economies of scale. If we have higher grade, it takes a lower gold price to be economic. And it also may mean that we can do, you know, 25,000 tons a day, you know, which also means less cost to build. So, and, and, and it's not just that, that all goes into the technical studies that we're doing and getting ready for the next phase of development. But it's also that if we are successful in what we hope to achieve with our drill program over the next 12 months, then it really will change the industry's perception of, of High Cross because it is, it is seen as, yes, it's one of the largest deposits in one of the best jurisdictions. But then there's always the but, but it's lower grade. And if we can get that grade up and really show that maybe there is a feeder system to this, you know, we know high grade exists right in our land position with the, the old Rosebud mine, really high grade. So if we can do that, it totally changes the thinking. That's exactly what we did at the Hale mine at Remarco. We totally changed people's thinking. The whole industry said that's a dead project. It was a small heap leach operation. It'll never be anything more. Everybody drilled it. They didn't find anything and they wrote it off. And we proved that a lot of hard work, you know, turned it into something very exciting. And then we were bought out by a bigger company. So that's a lot of the, um, the reasoning behind why we're doing this program. It's for understanding the ore body better. It's for helping us design a better flow sheet and a better technical report for the larger operation. But it's also for, you know, maybe, maybe in the past, nobody focused on finding uh, the real good stuff here. And if there's an opportunity to do that, then we will have done something pretty spectacular here also. Um, women have been sort of un underpresented uh, in the mining industry. And obviously, as a recruiter, I come across this obviously often, um, and especially at the, the highest levels. Um, according to a, a McKenzie study from 2020, uh, female representation within the, the mining company C-suite is around 13%, which is obviously uh, pretty low. Why do you think that is? Um, and what's your, what's your experience been at that level? Um, and I suppose, do you have any advice on sort of the uh, younger or younger women um, that are starting out in the industry today? What advice would you, would you give them um, if they're obviously within the mining industry and looking to sort of progress um, up the hierarchy into more sort of uh, senior and executive management positions? Certainly. So um, I started out before I got into the mining sector in oil and gas. And at the time, because I'm from Texas and that's what you do when you're from Texas, right? And at the time, we were seeing a lot of women coming into the oil and gas industry. And when I started in the mining space, you know, I didn't realize that, it, you know, how, how male dominated it is. And it really hasn't gravitated, as you correctly point out in your statistics, to have a lot of women, particularly in the C-suite. And I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this. And I get asked to speak, you know, about being a woman in mining. One of my comments is, I'm not a woman in mining. I'm not a woman CEO. I'm just in mining and I'm just a CEO, right? It's, I don't, I could sit in a boardroom of 20 men and I'm the only woman, but it never occurs to me I'm the only woman because I'm just there to do my job. Um, but I would have to say of the men in the industry, I, 
and some women may not want to hear this, but I have never had to like break through the glass ceiling and claw my way to the top. I have found the men around me to be supportive, encouraging, uh, helpful, and I have never had that experience. By and large, our industry is made up of really phenomenal people, I believe, men and women. I have sometimes felt that instead of the proverbial glass ceiling, that we have more of a sticky floor. And I say that because I think women don't tend to come into our industry. I mean, we, we can look at women that there's very few, 13%, as you say, that ever make it into the C-suite and even fewer that make it into the CEO role, right? But even if you look down from that, you don't see still a lot of women in the industry, even below that you know, uh, C-suite and even managerial level. And I think I think we have a fundamental issue that women don't tend to come into this industry. And I don't know why. I don't know if it's too correlated to the construction industry. It's perceived as, you know, I don't know, dirty equipment, machinery, whatever. I personally love having my hard hat and boots on and being in the in the field. I love it. Uh, but I also like putting on a suit and going to conferences as well. So I think one of the things we need to do, and I think women need to uh, take some responsibility in this, is help encourage other women to realize what a fun and dynamic industry we have. It is the only, well, first of all, for a woman, what's not better than gold and silver, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, or diamonds. And, I mean, and diamonds, I mean, you know, uh, you don't have to be in the copper and nickel business because nobody says, look at this gorgeous nickel necklace my husband bought me, right? So, <laughs> um, so I mean, what, what, what a more fun industry to be in. And, and it's a unique industry. And you know, what's so great about precious metals is we don't compete with each other in our industry because we all sell our commodity at the exact same price. Everything that anybody ever produces will always be sold on the market. The pricing's fixed on the LME. So it means that a Highcroft can call a Newmont. We did it at Remarco. We called Newmont. We said, we're having some difficulty over here in our metallurgy. We want to know if you guys can help us out with your expertise so we can share information. And it's just a, it's just a wonderful industry. And so I think, you know, trying to help women when they're going into college or advanced education or, you know, even in high school. I mean, at, at Remarco in South Carolina, we did all kinds of uh, educational things at the school systems there, just helping them understand the nature of what we do and how and how interesting it is. In Nevada, it's different because everybody knows mining. There's so much of it. But we were the first gold mine permitted in 25 years in South Carolina. So people, you know, didn't really understand that. So I think the advice I would give is that give it a try, take a course or two. I mean, my very first course in, in mining, I just said, I love it. This is what I'm meant to do. I have no idea what I'm going to do with it when I finish my graduate work, but I love it anyway. And I think, you know, just really helping people understand what a, what a great industry it, it is. But um, you know, I, I've been blessed, uh, in my career for sure. And I work with, uh, you know, a lot of men, we actually at Highcroft, we had, you know, the highest uh, percentage of, of women in the industry. I also have found that, you know, we get a lot, sometimes as a recruiter, you probably see this, you just don't get a lot of applicants that are female. They just don't come in. 
And what I found is because I'm a female CEO, we get a lot of women applicants. And one of the things that I hear them say is, I would love to work with a woman CEO. So is there a built-in stigma that a male CEO may not give you the opportunity to advance? Maybe. I've never witnessed that personally, and I've never seen it in other companies, but um, maybe it exists, and maybe it exists in the larger companies. I don't know. So I think it's really more about, uh, I think it's it's great for me to be able to use my CEO platform for, you know, to, to bring women in. Maybe they feel a kindred spirit because we're both women and they come into this and they get the education and then we give them the skills and maybe ultimately they go on somewhere else and have a flourishing career. So um, I think there's a lot of work we can do. I, I would love to see more women in the industry. I, I think it's phenomenal and um, it's just been the most fun I've ever had. Uh, there's never been a day of my career that I didn't want to go to work and love every moment of it. And I hope other women will, you know, allow themselves to see that side of it too. And yeah. I do box places. So hopefully women will appreciate. Yeah. And obviously continue on the same, on the same theme. Um, obviously you mentioned you, that you've been in the oil and gas industry. And I'd imagine there probably is a higher percentage of females and women in the, the oil and gas industry compared to the mining industry. So what are they doing differently to what the mining industry is doing? And what can the mining industry learn from the oil and gas industry? Boy, that's a really great question. I don't know that I've ever sat back and thought different about what maybe they are doing. Um, you know, I, th I think a lot of it is the, the oil and gas industry is very large, obviously. Um, and women worked in the um, corporate offices, which are usually in the major cities. So there's a very good talent pool there, you know, when you're in, when you're in a major city. A lot of mining companies, um, you know, especially if you're a single asset company like we are, or you have maybe two or three assets or your exploration development, you got a very small head office, but everything is really at the mine. So it's more in the field. Um, and so it's probably the sheer size of what that corporate office uh, is. Also, I think it has to do with geography because, you know, in the South, Texas, Florida, you know, a lot of oil and gas there. So it, there's just a lot of opportunity and it's known. Like, for example, I get on a plane, you know, out of San Antonio, Texas or Houston, Texas, and the person next to you asks what industry you're in, you say mining. They've never heard of that before. Like they don't, you know, and I think it's because and, and you sort of pointed this out in our earlier conversation, which is everybody understands oil and gas. You've got to fill up your car to go where you need to go. Right. Not everybody understands that from your cell phone to your computer to every single electrical component on your vehicle has to be silver coated and, and uh, yeah, silver coated. And people don't readily identify other than jewelry of what those commodities are used for. Same with nickel, same with cobalt, same with chromium and, and lithium. I mean, that's getting a bit more buzz, but when you think about it, there are other countries other than North America that produce the predominance of, you know, nickel and copper and, you know, all of those different commodities and rare earths, we see it out of China. So it's not as prevalent, I think, as oil and gas is to, to North America, which is something you see every day in the news. Everybody's very familiar with it. I think maybe it's more about the, the uniqueness and the specialty of our industry and the fact that 
you know, unless you're in the Western U.S. and appreciate how much gold and silver is produced out there or some places in the Midwest where they do have some nickel mines trying to get into production, you're really just not exposed to it. Certainly not in the news, certainly not um, immediately uh, as an end user of that commodity. You don't even realize how many of those metals you're consuming in just your day-to-day life, right? Can't have stainless steel, silverware, toaster oven, microwave if you don't have, you know, nickel and and all of that. That Yeah, no. Yeah, no, and I understand. And obviously, I live in the UK where if anyone asks me what I do, I tell them, obviously, I'm in, in recruitment, but in the mining industry. And again, it don't, they, they don't relate to that where I live. And but I also lived in Australia uh, where everyone understands mining. Um, it's because they haven't got the, here in the UK, they haven't got the exposure. So it, it is that. Um, although the UK slowly, very slowly, um, starting to have a little bit of a resurgence in, in certain areas. But um, yeah, but just people don't understand that everything around you is either grown or it's mined um, because they just don't have the educa- education around that. Um, yeah, Canada, Canada gets it, right? Because yeah. it's a big part of their industry. Nevada, the state alone, and you know, previously California, you know, they get it because they've got mines, but by and large, people people don't get that. And the other thing is that every and, and it, th- this is really drives home that discussion we were just having because you know everybody's about the green technology and green energy, but nobody is saying the obvious. Where are you going to get the metals to actually build and put into production the green energy? You need. They the just metal. think it. They just think it comes off the shelf from it just somewhere. Comes off the shelf. That's right. And and there's been uh, I saw a video recently which was really fascinating, and it was just I mean it was a very short video, but it really drove home the point of exactly need. So if you're really concerned about preserving the the environment, then you really should just mine and stick stick with fossil fuels, because the amount of mining that you're going to have to do to feed your goals and objectives for the green plan are, you know, much larger than anything we can even contemplate today or are doing today. And where are you going to you know, how is that going to even happen? And so I, I think you're right. It's just what your exposure is. You know, people just they haven't made the connection between needing the metals and the energy to do the green energy. Not at all. Not at all. Um, so just wrapping up and uh, obviously uh, a conclusion, I just wonder what the outlook is uh, for the next sort of six to six to nine months. Um, and also um, I wonder if you had any final thoughts that you want to uh, uh, give our audience. Oh, thank you. Well, um, for the next six to nine months, our big catalyst are the drill program. And we should start coming out with some news flow in the next few weeks. We're starting to get assays back in now uh, from our first holes, but we're going to be drilling for the next 12 months. So we'll have a continuous set of uh, news flow coming out. And uh, that's the main thing. And then also coming out with our technical report, probably in the first half of next year, maybe second quarter. We don't know yet. Um, on what the project looks like when we build it into its next phase of commercial operation. You know, what's the net present value, the return to the shareholders off of that investment. The other thing is because we have a very substantial cash position and we are in very difficult markets right now, and a lot of people are struggling to raise money, we think we can be very opportunistic 
and um, taking advantage of potentially some cash flowing operations to generate cash flow to our shareholders sooner before Highcroft is actually built and developed and online. And we have the team that is able to help unlock value at other projects. So we are looking conservatively and cautiously. We're mindful of dilution, but things that really could make um, a big impact to our shareholders in terms of value in order acquiring other projects um, and helping use some of our cash to unlock the value in those. And we've seen a number, and you, you, you're well aware of them, that you know, have had, um, you know, the capital, you know, blowouts and, or, you know, it, not a technical issue, but it's a timing issue or a management issue or, um, you know, getting behind schedule issue where we can come in and make that difference and really help unlock that value. And so those are the things that we're working on. I think it's going to be a real exciting year. And um, we just ask everybody to, Stay tuned to our news, watch our videos, stay on our, follow us on Twitter. And um, we're real excited. We think we have a real tiger by the tail here with Highcroft. So we're excited about what we're doing. Yes, certainly. And uh, appreciate your time in sharing your story. And it certainly looks like, or it, it, it will be an exciting project and such a obviously vast, vast area, vast resource. And there's obviously much more probably to uncover um, so obviously wish wish you well um, and maybe hopefully you can come on uh, sometime next year with some with some updates would love to that would be great yeah. yes we have a lot of gold and silver in the right jurisdiction and we're permitted for our operation we just um, need to get the technical studies finished and then see what else other hidden treasures are out there at high yeah certainly if our audience wants to reach out to you if they've got any uh, questions that they want to ask you how can they back, go about doing that? Obviously, you mentioned about obviously the, the social media that you're on. We can include all of those in the show notes as well. Um, but what, where, where can they uh, best find you? Our website is www.highcroftmining.com, H-Y-C-R-O-F-T. And we also have on our website a link uh, that you can send us emails. It's info at highcroftmining.com. And I personally answer those myself. And my phone number is at the bottom of every press release we put out. So you're welcome to contact me for more information. That's great. Well, like I said, we'll include those in the show notes and company this so, uh, so I can uh, have easy access to uh, ask you any questions and obviously follow the journey as well. So um, wish you well for uh, the future. Uh, no doubt um, it's going to be an exciting uh, project and looking forward to the results. And um, hopefully you'll be in production sooner rather than later. Thank you, Rob. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you so much yeah. for having me on. And yourself. Um, and for those who are listening, um, certainly a great company to follow. Um, such a, um, obviously, Nevada's a, a very, a very good jurisdiction for, for mining. Um, it's one of the, the best jurisdictions in the world. So um, appreciate you for listening. Um, and if you can share this episode with others around uh, around the world, um, and even, I suppose, even people outside of the mining industry, if you're looking to invest, maybe a, a company that you should follow. So um, appreciate you for listening. And until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.